All right, well, please open up your Bibles. We have one in the pews there, or you can uh, look on your phone, because everyone's got a Bible on their phone these days now, don't they? Uh, to 1 Peter and chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 12 will be our sermon text today. And we're in a sermon series titled The Church, Metaphors of the Beloved. And we will be looking at an amazing metaphor for the church this morning. Peter wants us to see that we, we are the priesthood of God. Now, I I know it can sound a bit unusual, perhaps even a bit weird, so we're going to need to dig a little bit deeper into what this means. But at the end, I hope we'll come to treasure this truth that, that the church is the priesthood of God. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stay forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. It really is remarkable. It tells us of your, your um, pursuing mercy towards us, sinners, undeserving. And you're crowning us with honor of being made um, your people and being given a, a practice, a calling to be a priesthood. Help us to understand more fully what this is, that we may desire it and live it out. We pray. Amen. In 2013, Ken Smith published a book titled, What's Wrong with the World and How to Fix It? On the cover, he lists numerous issues, overpopulation, greed, religion, war, global warming, congestion, starvation, disease, pollution, prejudice, politicians, attorneys, criminals, billionaires, alcohol, drugs, obesity, violence, sports, celebrity worship, gangs, child abuse, male domination, dictators. I'm sure we could all maybe add a few. And if you are a billionaire or an attorney, you might want to take a one or two off the list. I didn't buy the book. A couple of things cautioned me against it. First was the book ranks in 10,400,409th place in all the books sold on Amazon. 
which means it sold less than 100 copies. It seems like most people, Ken Smith is adept at pointing out the problems with the world, but is unable to present or posit a viable solution. The other thing I noticed was the bio on the back. Turns out Ken Smith is a landscape architect. Now, nothing against landscape architects. We even have one here at Grace Church, but sorry, Jason, I did not buy the book. What's wrong with the world and how to fix it? My friends, we already have a book that addresses this problem and provides the solution. And it, every year, it is the number one best-selling book on Amazon. It's God's Word, the Bible. With great detail, the Bible describes how God created everything good and for his glory and how he made mankind in his image and we were made to reflect his glory. But now mankind has fallen and now we live in rebellion against God and denial of God. But the amazing thing is that God, in his mercy, he comes and he pursues people. And he includes them in his plan to renew and to restore everything to its glory. And, and through Christ Jesus, his son, this becomes our reality. We become part of God's merciful plan. As we read in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, if you've come to trust in Christ, then you are now part of God's people, the church. And God has made us into something so that through us, his kingdom plans can be furthered. And what has he made us into? A priesthood. I know, sounds a little bit weird. We will need to unpack that. But let me just summarize by saying, just as the priesthood in the Old Testament mediated sorrows in the sins of God's people up to God and also mediated God's mercy and grace and love back down to his people, so too we, the church, as a priesthood of God, get to do the same thing, to proclaim God's mercy and grace into a dark world that thinks it doesn't need God. What we'll see this morning is, is that this is a wonderful, glorious calling, and it should captivate our souls, but often it doesn't. Our problem can be twofold. One, we just don't understand what this priesthood is and what it's all about, and therefore we don't treasure this identity and we don't live it out. That's one reason. And two, to live this way involves sacrifice. And let's just be honest, living on a mission for Christ and his kingdom is often on the back burners of our lives, right? Now, my goal this morning is not to guilt you into trying to be a little bit better Christians. My goal is to do this, to open up this treasure that's presented to us in this sermon text, which shows us that the priest really is something, the priesthood really is something special here on earth, and we have been called into this reality. And my hope is that when we see how glorious and good this is, we will long to do it out of love for Christ. So the big point here is this. The church is the priesthood of God. By God's mercy, we become his means for mercy in this world. That's what we're going to look at this morning under two headings, our identity and our calling. First, our identity. Our identity is the church is the priesthood of God. Now, this is going to need a little unpacking. 
typically, right, when, when we hear the word priesthood, we think of the Roman Catholic priesthood, but the priesthood that we have in mind here is actually uh, from the Old Testament, and, and back then, the priesthood was a desirable vocation, though not so much in Western society. When we hear priesthood, we think of the Roman Catholic Church and the priests. And you know, there's a lot of Roman Catholics here on, on Long Island. Uh, the statistics show that 39% of those who live on Long Island were raised in Roman Catholicism versus 24%, which is the national average. Many of you come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And so we can think wrongly of the priesthood. So let's unpack this biblical metaphor of the church as the priesthood. First, what we see in our text is that, that this priesthood, that we're actually what Peter calls living stones that are in fellowship with Jesus and with each other. Look at verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, certainly this builds upon what we looked at last week, right? Our sermon text last week was Ephesians chapter 2, and there we saw that the church is the temple of God, that, that, that God dwells in us by his spirit. And both Paul last week and Peter this week quote the same passage, Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Here, Peter is describing how Jesus is the cornerstone of the house or the temple that God is building up, which is his people. Peter says, like living stones, we are being built up as a spiritual house. And it's interesting that, that Peter is really showing us two metaphors, right? He's showing us that we are this temple that we covered last week, but also this temple of God is a priesthood of God. And did you catch the purpose clause there? You, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. This is God's good work in us. We are his living stones, and he is building us into a house, a people, a church, so that we can be a priesthood for God's purposes to be done on earth. Understand this. All of us are part of this priesthood. It's not a select people in the church. We are all part of the priesthood. And so what does it look like? Well, it hinges on the beginning of verse 4. There we read, as you come to him. Now, the verb is not past tense, as you came to him, like it's once and done, right? No, it's actually a participle, and it conveys a continual, ongoing coming to Christ. It is as we, the church, continually come to Christ, the living stone, that we experience this building up of this spiritual house. This is Grace Church in constant fellowship with Christ and with each other. And what a wonderful way to describe Jesus. Jesus is the living stone we continually come to. See, our identity as this priesthood rests upon who Jesus is. Think about it. When we come to Jesus, the living stone, we become what? Living stones. <laughs> and as living stones, God builds us into a spiritual house that rests upon Jesus, the cornerstone. I know some of this is repetition from last week. 
Peter's trying to drive home an important truth. We are a priesthood that continually comes to Jesus. You remember Jesus' words to his disciples on that night he was betrayed. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remember that? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So the church's identity is rooted in our relationship to Christ. We are those who come to him and come to him and come to him. And as we do this together, we are being built up into God's holy priesthood. So our identity as God's holy priesthood means that that we find our identity in a relationship with Christ. That's the first consideration of our identity. The next is that we are to be holy. Peter calls the church a holy priesthood. I remember from last week, I'm not trying to preach the same sermon, but uh, last week we talked about how holiness, uh, the word holy conveys two meanings. One is that of moral purity, and the other is that of being set apart by God for his special purposes. Now, with regards to purity, isn't it true that the world we live in disdains purity, holiness. I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody praise somebody they saw and say, wow, she is pure. I really like his holiness. If you're a young person here today, don't let anyone try to persuade you that holiness is bad, that it deprives you of something good. You were made by a holy God to walk with him in holiness. That's how life is best experienced. Listen, Grace Church, it is as we gather together, come to Christ, and confess our sins together, and long for this holiness together, that we become more built up in Christ. And we become better equipped to be a holy priesthood. In my Grace Group, um, discipleship group, which has been meeting for over a year now, as yours have as well, We're becoming men who confess our sins and shortcomings to each other. We confess and we encourage and we pray. And as a result, we're being built up in the gospel because together we look to Christ, our living stone, and it changes us. We are growing in holiness. That's the purity aspect of it. But we also need to root our identity in the fact that God has made us holy. He has set us apart to be his priesthood. Our set-apartness is in verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Chosen. The church is the chosen people of God. Now, I know some Christians tend to push back at this, that this truth that God chooses those whom he draws to Jesus. Some people push back because they think it turns human beings into robots that have no free will. But as Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father enables them. As Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Christian, our identity is that of chosen one, set apart. This should humble us. It should cause us to delight in what God has done for us. Think about it. Look look at verse 4 again. See, as Jesus is the living stone that was rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious, guess what? So too we, who deserve to be rejected, have become chosen and precious in Christ. Listen, Christian, you are precious in the sight of God. Precious. Now, none of us knows why God chose us over others. 
perhaps others in our families or friends. We don't know why he chose us, but we definitely know it wasn't because we were deserving. It's all by God's mercy. Look at verse 10. It's so clear. Once you're not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, God's grace towards us does not get any more plainer than this. Once we were not a people, now we are God's people. And it is all about God's mercy towards us. The church is the priesthood of God because God has chosen to make us his people and he's showered us with his mercy. Listen, church, this is, this is our identity. This is who we are. We aren't special because we're smart or good-looking or hold the right political views. We are special because God in his sovereign wisdom chose to shower us with mercy. And listen, this is so central to who we are. Verse 9 states, we are a people for his possession. God has set us apart as his. We belong to him. There could be no greater good for you, for us. And listen, this, this, is, this is an honor. That's what Peter writes in verse 7. Look, so the honor is for you who believe. It is an honor above all honors to be the priesthood of God, to be set apart by God's mercy. Now, Christian, do you see it that way? Of all the honors we humans can receive, there's no greater honor than being those that God has set apart as precious in his sight. There is no greater honor than to be made alive in Christ Jesus by the mercies of God. Grace Church, we believe. We believe this gospel message. And because we believe, we are living stones. We are alive in Christ. And we are being built up into the spiritual house, which is what the priesthood of God which means this, listen, try to understand this. We are the means by which God's mercy comes into this world. There's no greater honor than that. That's our identity. We are God's priesthood on earth. And now our last point tries to answer the question, okay, now that we know kind of what that is, what do we do? <laughs> What is the purpose of being God's priesthood? What is our calling? Well, the big idea here is that we, the priesthood of God, we live to make God known. Look at verse 9. It states our purpose in being the priesthood of God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that, this is a purpose clause, so that what? Here it is. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did God set you apart and shower you with mercy and bestow us with honor so that we can tell the whole world about him? That is the calling of the priesthood, Grace Church. We get to go and tell the story of God's goodness and glory. We get to simply proclaim the excellencies who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Now, the Greek word translated excellencies is the word aritas. It conveys the meaning of excellency of character, something that is praiseworthy. This is what we do every Sunday as we gather in worship. We meditate together upon who God is, and we sing praise to him. That is what worship is. It's it's declaring or proclaiming the excellencies of God. But listen, our worship is not to be confined to 75 minutes on a Sunday morning. No, as God's priesthood, we live to proclaim the excellencies of God into this dark world, a world that even rejects God. That's what priests do. We bring the word of God, God's glory and mercy, into this world that desperately needs mercy. And we call out to people to come near to God, come out of the darkness, and come into God's marvelous light. Can you think of any better calling to have? That is our purpose, Grace Church. Our calling is to proclaim, to to herald into this world the gospel. And this is a kingdom work, right? That is why Peter doesn't just call it a holy priesthood. Did you notice he also calls it, in verse 9, a royal priesthood? Jesus isn't just our high priest who intercedes for us. Jesus is God's chosen king, and he leads us in this triumphal procession of this wonderful fragrance of the aroma of Christ throughout this world. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You know, when I ask Christians what area in their walk they wish they could improve upon, the two answers I usually get are what you probably figured out, prayer and evangelism. I wish I had a more robust prayer life, or I wish I was just better at this evangelism thing. By the way, I feel that same way. Here we see what evangelism really is in its simplest form. Evangelism is proclaiming to the world how excellent God is. Remember the word evangelism in the Greek is euangelion. We typically translate euangelion with two words, good news. You meaning good, angelion meaning message or news. And so to evangelize simply means to good news people. We get to good news people. We, the priesthood of God, get to serve Listen, we are God's intermediaries on this earth. We get to tell people the good news about how amazing God is. We get to shine his light into a dark world. We get to bring the holiness and goodness of God down to people in our community here on the East End and all throughout Long Island. We get to bring mercy from God to people who need mercy above all else. We get to bring peace, the peace of God, into this hostile world. And we get to comfort people with genuine comfort from God. And we get to bring people who are far near. Basically, we just get to retell the story of verse 10. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. And so, in a real sense, evangelism is quite simple. We simply get to proclaim to others how wonderful God is. Christian, we're, we're, we're not scalping counterfeit tickets to a Jets game. <laughs> we are freely giving others backstage passes to heaven itself. 
And so proclaiming the excellencies of how God brought us out of darkness into his light is the one thing that should overflow naturally from our lives. Like, like that Samaritan woman at the well, right? Remember after she had that inner, inner, um, interchange with Jesus, that discussion? And, and she experiences Jesus' mercy. And she runs back into that village, that village that, that, that in which the townspeople daily looked down and ridiculed her and judged her. And, and she came and she proclaimed to them, come and meet the man who knows everything about me and still loves me. Could he be the Christ? This is our God-given calling as, the, as a church to be a holy, a royal priesthood on this earth. It's really just that simple. But on the other hand, it's really quite hard. Why? Because this dark world does not like the light. Jesus spoke of how light, that is his goodness, this gospel message is rejected by darkness. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Being a priesthood means that we're called to bring light into the darkness. But people do not love the light. They love darkness. So guess what? Most of the people that we bring this light to will reject us as a priesthood. Much of our work will seem in vain. I cannot tell you how many times I've shared my testimony. A testimony is really telling someone your own personal journey from being someone who had not received mercy to now being someone who's received mercy. I've told my testimony to countless people, and most of the time I get some sort of response like this. I'm glad you found something that works for you. And then they stop inviting me to parties. <laughs> Try to remind them I'm Presbyterian, not Baptist. But anyway. Um, and it's true. Most of the people we encounter will reject the gospel. Peter knows this. My friends, he was there when the religious leaders rejected the living stone of Christ the living stone upon which we come for life, they stumbled over. And remember, when we proclaim the excellencies of Christ and people reject him, they are ultimately not rejecting us. But often it feels that way. As verse 12 states, they speak against you as evildoers. <laughs> It's amazing, but it shouldn't surprise us. When we shine the light of God into this dark world, this dark world says that we are the evil ones. They will say that we hate the LGBTQ plus community because we don't affirm their lifestyles. They will say we hate women because we love the unborn. They will say we are judgmental when we're simply in love, pointing them to the holiness of God and towards their sin so that they would cry out for mercy. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, this would happen. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, accept this reality. When we are faithful to being the priesthood of God that we are called to be, as we proclaim his excellencies, this dark world will persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us on account of Jesus Christ. 
Just as Jesus was rejected then, so too people will reject him today. But we must press on. We're not here to harm people. We're here to help them. We're here to set them free from their sins so they too can be people who have received mercy. But often they will fight against us. Last spring, I heard a rustling in a bush by my house. I looked down in amazement, and there was a a robin trapped with some fishing line. I had it wrapped around his feet and one of his wings, and he was trying to fly. He was all frantic. And I bent down to, to, to help him, to rescue him, and he became even more agitated, right? You can picture that, right? I'm just, you know, he fought against me. I whispered to him. I said, it's okay. I'm here to help. But oddly, the bird did not understand English. <laughs> he thought I was his enemy. But it wasn't until I gently and yet firmly subdued him in my hand, I was able to cut away the fishing line and set him free. That is how people are when it comes to the gospel. They think you're the enemy. They get all agitated. They think that you're there to judge them and harm them. It's only when God, by his spirit, puts them at rest can the gospel then set them free. And so on the one hand, this calling to be a priesthood is is simple. We simply tell them this story of God's glory, we get to proclaim the excellencies of a most excellent God. But on the other hand, it's difficult. We speak truth to people who think we are the liars. How dare you call me a sinner, people say. But this is our calling. This is our purpose, bringing God's good news to people who think they don't need it. And so be patient with them. Be loving with them. Care for their souls well. Christian, we are a priesthood of God. We bring the mercy of God to those who have not yet received mercy. What a wonderful calling. The book, What's Wrong with the World and How to Fix It, didn't sell many copies. People are pretty good at pointing out what's wrong with the world, but typically they point at what? Symptoms, not the root cause. We point at billionaires or lobbyists or racists. They're the ones who are the problem. And then we tend to be, feel pretty good about ourselves because we aren't the problem. It's them, we insist. But as I regularly state, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Our hearts do not naturally beat for God in his glory. Our hearts naturally beat for ourselves and our own glory. And so the problem that the whole world shares is a spiritual one. The root cause of the world's problem is how mankind has turned from God, who is light, and now lives in darkness. As Paul writes, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What's wrong with the world is that the world is living in darkness and the world is blinded from seeing this beautiful light of the gospel, of this glory in Jesus. God sent his son into this world to die for our sins and to rise in victory so that we can be set free. But the world says, rubbish, I'm no sinner. 
I don't need a savior. But my friends, God isn't finished. He gets the final word. And his final word is mercy for all who do repent and turn to him. And his final word, guess what? It comes into this world through us. Through us. We, the church, are the priesthood of God. There is no greater honor than this. So, Grace Church, do we see this for ourselves? Do we see ourselves as the priesthood of God? And that as the priesthood, we have a great calling to tell the world, tell the world all about who God really is and how amazing he is and what it's like to receive mercy when we deserve judgment, what it's like to join his household. May we delight in this identity. The church is the priesthood of God. We are God's chosen means, my friends, for mercy into this world that desperately needs God's mercy. My friends, may we embrace our identity and may we live out our calling to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Let's pray. Father, we are so unworthy and yet we, we cannot let our thoughts end with that. You have made us worthy in Christ. As we look to Christ, the living stone, we are now alive, and we are precious in your sight, and we have been chosen and set apart to be yours and to live with great purpose for your glory. You are a most excellent God. You are worthy of our praises, not just ours, but our neighbors as well. So help us to embrace who you've called us to be, and by the power of your spirit in us, may we live this out. For Christ's glory and your glory, we pray. Amen.